Happy Monday, breaking news. Ryan Reynolds finally responded to my multiple media requests. Would that be breaking news? I don't know. What did you say? No, no, the breaking news I've had. I mean, it's not any more serious than your mm. Ryan Reynolds hope, but New Zealand has a centre shortage. Did you know that? A what? That's actually really hard to say. <laughs> centre shortage. We have a nationwide centre shortage. Say that five times fast. Come on. Centre shortage. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even say it twice. Can't even say it once before. <laughs> So this is on stuff now for anyone who wants to try saying Santa shortage or at least reading about one. Um, the shortage <laughs> has actually meant that some local communities are opting to have whatever Santa is available. He doesn't have to be an old fat man anymore. <laughs> Stuff's even spoken to one Santa, uh, Gaush Majid, who is in his own words, slim, brown and not so old. And do you think oh. the kids cared that he was slim, brown and not so old? No, of course not. All kids care about is people who give them presents. They don't care what your Santa looks like. And it reminds me of a story I did last year. Uh, this Aussie health expert was calling for a ban on fat Santas because he said they sent kids the wrong message. Oh. They promote unhealthy eating habits. Oh. Do you think there's a need for podcast hosts that can also dress as Santa? Should we start a Santa side hustle? I could be Santa. This could be a good way to make a little bit of extra cash in the lead up to Christmas. Cost of living crusher. <laughs> okay, let's discuss this after the episode. Let's get into it. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. Sir Ian Taylor, a high-profile Kiwi businessman, joins us to explain why he's preemptively resigned from two boards because of the coalition government. We're only halfway through it, but what gains have or haven't been made yet at this year's United Nations Climate Conference? Happy birthday, chat GPT. It's been a year since it burst into our lives. Can you believe it? So, what have we learned in 365 days? And an influencer spent 100 million New Zealand dollars on her wedding. How on earth is that a real sentence? And the Kiwi's doing the same. I'm spending 101. I'm joking. <laughs> We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. High-profile New Zealander Sir Ian Taylor, who founded Animation Research, which might be best known for its work bringing to life the graphics for the America's Cup, has taken the extraordinary move of resigning from two boards he says are made up of some of the most inspirational people he's ever worked with. One of them was Mike King's Gumboot Friday slash I Am Hope. Why did he do this? He says it so he could speak freely and frankly about his concerns over the new coalition government, something that has seen other high-profile Kiwis working in public roles lose their jobs over. So, here to tell us more about how he feels is Sir Ian himself. Kia ora, welcome to Newsable. Kia ora, nice to be here. Sir Ian, we've only just got a new government. Uh, why do you feel so quickly, I suppose, so, and so strongly that you need to speak out now? Well, it, it was sort of ironic, really, because one of the things that happened immediately, which was so encouraging, was the new coalition had stepped up and moved in to fund, you know, um, I Am Hope, mm. Mike King. I mean, that happened incredibly fast. And I think it's $6 million a year for the next three years. But then sort of running right alongside all of that, the thing that really caught me by surprise was the smoke-free legislation. And then sort of the first press conference where, you know, media were being accused of bribery. Mm. I mean, that that's unacceptable coming from a politician, let alone the Deputy Prime Minister. And it kind of rolled over because on top of that, it really was accusing the 
trust the, the board of New Zealand on air because the question was, what do you have to do to win this money? Well, you've actually got to get it past New Zealand on air. And I was on the board of New Zealand on air and I know the people there take that independence seriously. So I just thought I'm now in this position where do I speak up and run the risk of getting on the wrong side of these people who've just supported a couple of, you know, one, one of the things that I, I'm really proud to be part of, or do I speak up? And I just thought, no, you, you've you got to be able to speak up in order to protect I Am Hope and to protect the other one, which is the Product Accelerator, which is doing some amazing work on different ways of looking at how we meet climate change sustainability, all the opportunities rather than the challenges. So I just thought I've got to make the choice. I either stay quiet, which means I'm being bribed, or I speak up. Shouldn't our high-profile figures who have an opinion that theoretically we should find valuable, that's why they're in these positions, they should be able to speak out when they see things that they don't agree with? I, to- I totally agree. You've got to be open to these discussions. I have a great analogy, and it was Amy Adams. And I remember a long time ago, I got into an argument with the then national government about they paid $30 million for Māori to step away from laying claim to 4G or 5G. And I did this whole spurge about it was 30 pieces of silver. I got a phone call from Amy and she said, when are you in Wellington next? And I said, I can be there whenever you want. She said, well, tomorrow. And so I went And I went into her office and she said to me, look, Ian, we are quite clearly on the opposite sides of this debate. I'll just remind you of one thing. I am the minister. Now, you have 45 minutes to change my mind. And I just thought that was amazing. Mm. Sir Ian Taylor, thank you so much for your time. Really interesting to chat. We did approach both uh, the National and New Zealand First Parties to see if they wanted to respond to some of Sir Ian's criticisms from that interview just then, but neither got back to us within our deadline. We do like having a bit of fun on Newsable, don't we? So we're going to have a bit more fun this week and play the game where we try and slip a word into our episodes as often as possible. We've played it a couple of times before, but this time, here's the key difference. We're giving you the power. You get to submit the word that you want to hear, in this case, Imo say, Mm. as many times as she can throughout the next week. We'll chuck up a question box on Insta, get your words in, find us by searching Newsable NZ, and I'll choose the best one and deliver something good not something rude something good we're halfway through the most important meeting of the year when it comes to climate change but does it look like the 28th round of this international meeting COP will change anything much the US has pledged to phase out coal-fired power plants and slash methane emissions while also supporting oil and gas exploration and the UK has made pledges for reduction while at the same time backing more fossil fuel exploration in the North Sea. The meeting has heard calls for action from high-profile speakers such as King Charles. We are carrying out a vast, frightening experiment of changing every ecological condition all at once at a pace that far outstrips nature's ability to cope. And a representative from the Pope. The destruction of the environment is an offence against God a scene that is not only personal but also structural, one that greatly endangers all human beings, especially the most vulnerable 
in our midst and threatens to unleash a conflict between generations. So is this concrete progress or is it hypocrisy being made at the UN meeting in Dubai? Joining us now to discuss this is Bronwyn Hayward, who has been the lead author on a UN intergovernmental panel on climate change and is also a professor in youth and sustainability at the University of Canterbury. Kia ora, Bronwyn. Thanks for coming on. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. What's the biggest takeaways for you so far from COP28? What should we know about? Just before this COP started, the UNEP report came out that showed that we're heading for a three-degree warming world by the end of the century. Now, that's serious. That's double the amount of energy we're already seeing at the moment, and we've seen these kind of extreme storm events sweeping around the world. There's enormous pressure on UAE as the presidency. So its first big announcement was at the first day when it announced progress uh, in creating what's called a loss and damage fund. And that's a fund to support countries that have already been impacted seriously by climate change. The issue that's probably important for New Zealand is the questions around methane and food production. Now, the government has signed a pledge to reduce methane and food production and to also prioritise land and food production overall. There was a renewable energy pledge signed by many of our partners, including the US and Australia, but New Zealand has not signed onto it. Do we know why? We haven't signed the big pledge where the countries like the United States, Australia, Canada and the UK have agreed to triple their renewable energy production by 2030, so that's in this decade. They've agreed to double their energy efficiency and then they've agreed to this moderate language of phasing down coal that's been so heavily criticised. Now, we didn't sign that agreement, so it leaves us in a really difficult position and we don't seem to have a coherent climate policy at the moment. The incoming government has said it will roll back methane, it's said it will roll back bans on oil and gas, and now an opportunity it has to sign renewable energy, which is where their big push is going to be, they haven't. Now, in fairness to the government, they might say, well, 80% of New Zealand's energy is already renewable, particularly because of hydro. The pressure will be on New Zealand to show that it's a credible player in these conversations. So there's a lot at stake for the Arab countries, but New Zealand finds itself increasingly isolated right now, away from the parties that we've normally tended to form agreements with on climate. Bronwyn Hayward, thank you very much for your time and for joining us from your garden with all that lovely birdsong too. Now, the new climate change minister, Simon Watts, is due to arrive in Dubai on Thursday for the closing days of this COP28 meeting, and he will be accompanied by his predecessor, James Shaw. We are just about to wish ChatGPT a very, very happy birthday. It is wild to think it's only been around for a year, seeing as it's basically every other word in everybody's sentences these days. But just in case you haven't employed artificial intelligence to follow us on your favourite podcast platform, here's your reminder to do so yourself. Hit that follow or like button wherever you're listening to us. Don't rely on AI to do it for you. Take control. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear ChatGPT. Happy birthday to you. So much change this year, not least a new government for us and all that will bring, but also ChatGPT. The app has now been with us, affecting how we do things for a whole year. In just the last 12 months, OpenAI released the app has become part of our language. For some, part of how they operate day to day, not always the best choice, it has to be said, but a great option for, you know, farewell emails, birthday messages, so much more. 
<laughs> it feels like it's been around far longer than it actually has. And as an indication of just how popular it is, ChatGPT is widely reported as the fastest growing consumer app of all time. So to talk more about the impact it's had, we're joined by Danu Abu Suraya, the founder of Rush Digital, an Auckland tech company. Kia ora. Hi, how's it going? So good, thank you. Danu, are people at all cautious about ChatGPT anymore or is it just firmly enmeshed? You've definitely got a mix and, and I throw one thing in there, lethargy. I think there's a certain group of people who have just haven't really engaged with AI as mm. well. I run into a few of these people fairly regularly. When you show them what you can actually do with the system, you can see that aha moment for those people. There's definitely a group that have thrown full caution into the wind and I would say there's a bunch that are purely profit-seeking mm. and there's a bunch that are trying to get ahead of it from a safety perspective as well. What's the biggest benefit you've kind of seen over the last year of using ChatGPT? Aside from birthday messages. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of those use cases in day-to-day -day productivity that just take a little bit of that pain out of modern day life. We live in a society that has evolved to be just constantly on and constantly demanding your time. And you've seen healthcare outcomes that correlate with that, higher anxiety, higher stress, Tools like ChatGPT and AI can really alleviate those micro tears and, and those little micro cuts and make things like, uh, what am I going to cook for dinner? A lot, lot, lot easier. <laughs> and then I think one of the biggest areas, especially in business, is scalability and coaching and training. I think this is one area where using ChatGPT, you can do this tomorrow and get some real benefit by allowing your team to basically have an always-on coach and educate. And the whole senior, junior coaching, mentoring structure can become a lot better. And I think that's probably one of the areas that's not talked about a lot. What about security, though? I know that's kind of what a lot of people think about. Its use has already been restricted by a number of government departments. Is that something we need to worry about when we use it? Yes, absolutely. And the only reason I say that is because we gouge. Humans gouge on stuff, right? Like we overeat at the buffet. <laughs> And it's especially true with technology. So with social media, we overate. We found the limits of our digestive ability. And now we're, we're paying for some of those consequences and we're trying to wind it back. And you're starting to see us sort of oscillate back towards a, a more healthy use of social media. But we're still left with the, the problems, right? And I can see that same journey being mapped out with AI. We are, we are rushing towards profit and we need to really, really, really think about this Pandora's box because as Jeff Bezos would put it, ironically, uh, it's a one-way door, not a two-way door. Are your concerns around AI and ChatGPT in particular the same as they were when it first broke that fourth wall and became part of everyday society? You know, there were concerns around misinformation, disinformation, people losing their jobs. Are those concerns the same today or have they evolved a little more? I, you know, in the early days of ChatGPT, I know it's only been a year, Jesus, but, you know, very early on, you could get it to give you the instructions to cook meth. That's yeah. not doable now because obviously OpenAI and Google and everybody are taking common sense approaches to fixing problems as they arise, right? And so whenever you're using anything like that, there's there's possible side effects that we're just not aware of yet. And I think that's the thing to be cautious of. If we release something into the world, then pulling it back once you discover there's a problem is going to be the story of, you know, atmospheric CFCs, for example. We use them in fridges for ages and then we're like, oh crap, they're really bad for the atmosphere. We should pull them back. But the damage was done, right? Mm. Amazing stuff. Really interesting to chat, Dano. And let's book this in again next year. Have another chat in 12 months' time when yeah. we're no doubt probably being ruled by ChatGPT <laughs> by that point. Yeah, connected <laughs> to a washing machine or something, the world's over. <laughs> 
Do not do that. No one experiment. That is Danu Abbasaraya, the founder of Rush Digital. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much, guys. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. You might have caught this. It was kind of all over the news towards the end of last week. It's this influencer from the States. Her name's Madeline Brockway. She spent $100 million New Zealand on her wedding. It ran over five nights, which... Is way too long. <laughs> Far too long. <laughs> the venue was the Palace of Versailles. Ah. The Palace of Versailles. <laughs> uh, where all her guests were actually allowed to stay the night as well. Didn't even know you could do that. And then the wedding concluded with a drone show that depicted the couple's love story and etched their initials into the sky. Anything you're going to take from that for your wedding? She must have seen my wedding planning book because that's actually <laughs> what I've got uh, set down for um, for ours. I am lost for words. <laughs> I thought it might be a good time to actually use that to check in on how the New Zealand wedding industry compares to see if we're any more uh, laid back. And to help us, I've enlisted the help of wedding planner Tawila Benioni, founder of Wedding Shiro. Kia ora, Tawila. Thank you so much for joining us. Kia ora. Now, this, this is a wedding of serious excess. So how do we compare kind of back here? Kiwis, we've got this reputation of being laid back. Does it come across when it comes to weddings as well? It's starting to. People are kind of staring away from the formalities a little bit and kind of just trying to have a really inclusive gathering, celebrating their love. And just, I guess, that matches them, you know, matches their personalities. And in New Zealand, yeah, we are laid back. And we're chill. How big a role does social media play in weddings these days? In terms of people thinking, how will this look on social media? What do I want to get the best pick that's going to get the most likes and all that jazz? Um, I definitely think social media plays a good part in terms of inspiration. Mm. But then it also plays the villain because it overwhelms the bride. Yeah. Their inspiration are the $100 million um, wedding budgets when their budget is nowhere near that, you know? So I think use it for inspiration, but... Don't let it overwhelm you. You know, there's just so many options. Cost of living obviously plays a big part these days in all aspects of life. And then, of course, you throw a wedding into the mix, it's going to creep into there as well. What sort of things are you seeing people choose not to do? In terms of budget, yeah, videography is kind of a luxury item especially if you already have a photographer. So you kind of, at least you're getting the memories captured. Any, like, top tips, Twila, that you can give Mo ahead of... um her big nuptials. Actually, Jess, you're getting married as well. I don't, I don't see why this is all coming about <laughs> After me. After you, thankfully. I get to watch you do it first. Are there any top tips you can give Jess and I uh, as brides-to-be? When the day comes, let go and let God. You know, like, you can't control everything. You can't control the weather. But you can control how you're feeling, you know, and how you want to remember that moment. But, yeah, definitely just enjoy the process as much as you can. I know it's overwhelming, just try. <laughs> oh, lovely for you to take the time to chat. Thank you so much. That is wedding planner Tuila Benioni, founder of Wedding Chiro. And good advice there for us as we look 
<laughs> looked at those nuptials. Let go and let God. Am I? We can't control yeah. everything. It's easier to say than done, though, isn't oh, it? Yes. Yeah. Let go and clasp, and it will be the best day of my life. <laughs> I will be a princess, and it will not rain. We will stand in a line. Let go and let God and have an umbrella. Let go and let God only if it's not raining. Yeah, that's the, that's the little disclaimer, yes. little asterisk in the corner. Hopefully that was uh, interesting and informative for any other potential brides and, of course, grooms. Not saying brides have all the say, but sometimes they do. Hopefully that was useful for everybody with a wedding coming up. That is Newsable for today. I'm Jess McCarthy. And I'm Imogen Wells. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo of that gotcha journalist. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, that, I think that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. That's, Nothing that's in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.